0: Welcome to the Calling the Quarters podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. Today, I'm very honored to be talking with Judica Illis, who is an American author of esoteric nonfiction books, an aromatherapist, and tarot reader. Judica, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Dean.
0: For our readers unfamiliar with your work, can you talk about where you grew up and where you're from?
1: Yeah, um, I am from New York City. I was born in New York. Uh, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm a million years old, um, although I'm like still 15 years old inside. Um, too. I was born in New York. I am for people who know what this is, I am a bridge and tunnel person. I was born in Brooklyn. I lived in Queens. and um, I am the first person in my family born in the United States my parents and my sister were hungarian refugees who only came to america a couple of years before i was born and i i mean my my conscious memory is really in queens which even today is probably it's considered one of the most diverse places on earth if you go to a hospital you'll see directions in something like 80 languages and that was very much my upbringing. I have family all over the world. I, you know, my ancestry is a little bit diverse too, um, and I, I think that really influences my work. That you know, that that sort of feeling of being a worldwide person, a citizen of the world.
0: Were you um, interested in spirituality at a young age?
1: I I don't remember a time when I wasn't. I I, I come from a family that was also interested in in spirituality, my mother, and in mysticism, Uh, not necessarily in what we would call witchcraft now in the modern sense, but definitely spirituality and mysticism, esotericism. I, I come from a house where I learned to read very early. My mother taught herself english by teaching me how to read and i I, so i mean i was reading by the time i was three and we had a house full of numerology and astrology and palmistry all sorts of all sorts of interesting books and zen buddhism all kinds of material
0: were you able to were you able to um get materials on spirituality when you were young like you said that you had a lot in your household where was was there any like shops or any places around where well, you live that you're able to get stuff
1: i was you know i was very lucky very blessed because i grew up in new york city and you know i am i'm 62 so there was no amazon.com where you could just right order books or you know now there are so many online sellers that will ship you your conjure candles or whatever else you want, you know, right. You know, now there's a glut. Now I think it's, you know, it's like the, the, the seven of this, you know, it's overwhelming. Yeah. The amount of material there is. And I can't imagine being a beginner now. And where do you start? I mean, so many doors, so many possibilities that wasn't the case. I mean, I really sort of came of age, my own in the seventies, and there really weren't a lot. But because I lived in in New York and in the bedroom suburbs, there were stores. My sister went to college around the corner from the Old Wiser Bookstore, and oh, she. Wow. Would, and you know, I my sister began college when I began first grade, so she was bringing this material home, and um, there were there were witchcraft stores, the Magical Child and Enchantments. Oh,
0: yeah, I remember that, yeah.
1: In New York City, even when there weren't other places, not to mention the botanicas, you know, New York City, which are, for people who are not familiar with botanicas, those are Latin American spiritual stores, uh, stores with magical supplies, herbal supplies, spiritual supplies. And at one time, I remember my sister was living in Massachusetts and I would take the Greyhound bus back. I would go to visit her in the summer and I would come down and take the Greyhound bus back to the Port Authority in New York and they would actually get into New York and New York City traffic. So it was a slow ride and we would come from uptown Bronx, down through Harlem, down through the city, down to Midtown where the bus terminal was. And there would be a botanica, uh, parts of the Bronx and Harlem, there'd be um, a botanica on every other corner. It it doesn't exist anymore because New York has become so expensive and the real estate is crazy, the prices. So that's that's a memory that really doesn't exist anymore. But I mean, I, I remember being on the bus and sitting at the window and I was a teenager and literally writing down, I had like a little notepad and I'd write down the names and addresses of botanicas as we drove by because I'd go back and, you know, when I, you know, I'd go and visit and people were so kind to me and patient with me because I was a kid and I had no money and, you know, maybe I bought a candle, maybe, and they just let me hang out and were very, very kind to me.
0: At what point did you kind of decide this is who I am? Like, I am a I was, witch.
1: I, you know, people ask me that, but I, I don't really, I don't really know a time when I didn't, I mean, my earliest, I have really early memories of we were living in Elmhurst, Queens, and we would trick, I would trick or treat for Halloween in the building. Like it was a apartment building. And so you would, you you wouldn't necessarily go outside. You would go door to door in the apartment. And I, you know, I must have, I don't know, three, four years old. I was tiny. Um, I remember there was a St. Bernard dog that was a neighbor had that was significantly bigger than me. Um, It may as well have been a bear. Um, And I was dressed as a witch. I've never not wanted to be a witch. I've never not. When you tell me fairy tales, even when I first heard them, Hansel and Gretel, I always identify with the witch. So, I mean, if you look at my natal chart, it's it's a pretty witchy chart. And... I just, you know, I think I was just programmed like the, here I am. I was born this way.
0: Has there been any point in your life that you've had hardships or had difficulty from people like landlords, jobs, whatever, what have you? Husbands. you kind of discrimination. Husbands, yeah. <laughs> because you're a witch, yeah.
1: Um, You know, it was a very private thing for me. And it was not a problem with the job or with landlords because I was you know, until I became published, because when I became published, that really pushed me out of the, because I never thought anyone would actually read my books. So I didn't think about getting an alias. It's, right. This is my real name, which in some ways, you know, in the long run has been a good thing, but most, most metaphysical authors, not all use some sort of a non-diplome, but right. I thought no one will read my book. Why bother? That was my first book. And so when I, well, they did. <laughs> the joke was on me, and that kind of pushed me out of the broom closet all the way. Uh, um, it was very, it was a very personal thing to me. I was cautious. I mean, I, maybe I never really got in trouble because I was cautious about it. I the person. My family was didn't never had a problem with it because of course my family was aware um the worst thing i ever got from my family is a lot of eye rolling i come from you know educated intellectual people who yeah you know you know this is sort of oh yeah you know what's she into now like i, I you know I, I may be the family weirdo but no one's gonna beat me or send me away to i don't know get rid of the witch or camp or something um but when i was married and it wasn't going well my ex i mean i think it's pretty i think he was being cynical about it It was a control measure i don't think he really i mean he didn't i know he didn't care he he didn't care until i exhibited leave-taking behavior at which point he you know I'm going to go to court and tell them you're a witch and you're going to lose custody. And, you know, I, I believed him, you know, I mean, it, it could have happened. I mean, he definitely, it, it kept me, it kept me in a bad marriage longer than I, you know, I would have been out of there otherwise. Oh my God. Um, I mean, that's not unusual.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately I've heard that story too many times.
1: I mean, it's not, I mean, I'm very aware. I am very aware that even as we speak, you know, there are p- places in the world where you know witches are being burned witches are being persecuted uh, you know parts of rural India and there are pretty harsh anti-witchcraft laws in Saudi Arabia and if you go yeah. on YouTube you can see there are some videos where they show you items that have been seized from practitioners and you know I do wonder what happened to the practitioner. Um, yeah you know, here's the stuff, but where's the person?
0: Yeah. Do you belong to any tradition that you'd like to talk about?
1: I am, you know, I've got Aquarius rising and I'm a very independent person and I am, I'm an independent practitioner. I do belong, I belong to the fellowship of Isis, which is, you know, allows you to be an independent person. And, you know, it's a I love them, you know. I really, I, 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 I am very fascinated by ancient Egypt and the magic, and the deities, and the spirituality, and so that that was a very natural fit for me.
0: Were there any authors that influenced you while you were kind of coming up and discovering your spiritual path?
1: You know, people ask me that a lot. And in terms of spiritual path, I mean, there are two answers to that. The writers that influenced me to become a metaphysical author were not also metaphysical authors. I came up at the time of the great rock and roll journalism. Right. People like Robert Criscow and Grill Marcus and Dave Marsh and Michael Gilmore and just... um, Wonderful authors and I I was a radio DJ in college and I love music. I mean a lot of my spells I, I incorporate recordings into it. And you know, I, I think that you can that there is that there are songs I I don't know if you've seen Najal Lightfoot's most recent book, I think it's Powerful Juju, because she is, has a very similar similar path. You know, I love her book. And um, so they taught me how to write about what I love and to share the concept of sharing what you love with others and to write with your heart on your sleeve and to express your passions because I love witchcraft and the occult, I did, I thought I would be writing about music. That's where I started. In terms of what influences my spiritual spirituality, I, I, I'm a bit of a compulsive reader. I like if you sit me down at a table, I'll read the back of the cereal box. I'll read the you know if I'm in a diner and I have nothing else to do. I find myself reading, you know, what's in the ketchup. You know, yeah. let's look. At, I, I'm just a compulsive reader, and I I did start reading very early. And my recommendation to people is to read everything you can get your hands on. And in some ways, it was easier in the 60s, and the 70s, and the 80s because there wasn't it wasn't so easy to get. And so you read what came across your path. And I read a lot of stuff that I disagree with. Or I read a lot of stuff where there was one nugget of good information. And I think that if you were, I think a lot of people now, I see that they're reading, they're looking for material to affirm what they already know or believe to be validated. And that's good sometimes. But I think that to challenge your mind, to make you think, I, you know, I don't like this book. I disagree with the author. Well, why? Why, you know? Well, I, sometimes that helps you refine your own vision. But I i mean, I read a lot of fairy tales and I write about fairy tales. I, I i read a lot of fairy tales from a young age and that shaped my, you know, I was really little. And I was maybe a little bit of a literalist, but it, it opened up possibilities. Because in fairy tales, you can do things and and contrary to what some people think in fairy tales the 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 female characters are quite often the heroes and the protagonists so it 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 opened up this world where you know animals talk to you and you can accomplish the impossible and you know novels also esoteric novels I, i read you know reincarnation novels, very young, these old, you know, and I, to this day, I love a reincarnation love story. And that, that was also, I mean, so I think pretty much everything, just the ability, just to have the material available and to open my mind to possibilities that all these things could be, that was, that was very influential for me.
0: When did you um realize that you were a writer at what point did you decide this is what i want to do
1: i didn't writing it it, it's my skilled labor it's just i'm I'm good at it and i come from i mean and maybe that's genetics because i come from a family with um you know my my great grandfather was a journalist um i come yeah i come from a, a family with a lot of writers in it um even now um So, those are two different. I those are sort of two different things about me that have come together, you know, are conjunct. One is I can write, and I've written like um and you know I've written websites for people, you know, back back in the day. Um, among the many many jobs I have had in my previous incarnations in this lifetime, I wrote a funeral services website. Um, Oh wow. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to hire me to write about sewage systems, I, I, I technically I can do it. I may not know anything, but I could learn. You know, if you give me the material, I, I can. You know, it's like some people can build a house. I mean, to me, writing is a very architectural thing. I can, right. I can construct, but it's why I'm a good editor because I, I, I can kind of look at writing and see it as a construction. But also, the other side of that is but another thing about me is that all my life. I've been interested in esotericism and the occult and, you know, and identifying with that witch and being that witch. So those are two things that came together and they came together because um, uh, at some point, you know, I, I did I, I had a good marriage and then I had a bad marriage and then uh, the, the bottom fell out and uh, I was a single mother with two kids and I needed to support them. And I was trying to do all kinds of other stuff. Nothing, which nothing worked. And my astrologer told me to write. And I told him he was crazy because, you know, I was thinking of going to massage school, which is, you know, very expensive. But um, I, I did not think that I was going. I mean, I am a writer. I did not actually think I was going to be making a living as a writer. It's just where my path took me.
0: You also have taught um, taromancy and other forms of divination. Can you talk about your inspiration for doing this and what led you to various forms of divination that you use?
1: Um, I am primarily a tarot reader, but I think that when you are a diviner, and I, I've had this conversation actually with the great and recently lost Rachel Pollock. When you are, you know, in the same way I say, I I am a writer, I am a witch, I am a diviner. After a while, you can divine with anything, because it's 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 a it's a mind thing, a mental thing. But tarot is my favorite. It's my true love. Uh, my sister brought home a deck of tarot cards, the BOTA Builders of the Idiom deck, uh, from the Weiser Bookstore, the Samuel Weiser Bookstore in 1966. And I was a little girl and I would, I just adored my sister and I would wait for her to come home every day. And, you know, it was a great time. She was going to college in the East Village and sometimes she'd bring home books and sometimes she'd bring home, you know, I like to shop too. Um, and sometimes she'd bring home albums, record albums. And one day she brought home a deck of cards, and just I fell in love. It was the most amazing thing, I, and I still I love them. I love them. I, I mean, I'm sitting here now surrounded by cards. I just so um, I like to share my love. I do. I do other forms of divination. I love crystal balls. I but I don't. I don't really do those professionally because I can't necessarily summon them. I used to be a phone psychic. Um, I used to, you know, work on a, on a, a, telephone hotline and I find that reading tarot cards, it's very reliable. If I, if you have an emergency and you wait, you call me up at 4am and, you know, I'm having an emergency, read my cards. I can pick up the deck of cards and I can do it. Like I, I can literally wake up and just start reading the cards because I've been doing this for, I went professional in 1988. Um, And I like teaching the cards. They're one of my favorite. I do a lot of teaching, and it's one of my favorite things to teach. I I like to, there are a lot of misconceptions about tarot. And I think people, well, I'll give you an example. Um, When I start teaching, I always ask people to tell me what you see. Right. Look at a card and tell me what you see. And so, for example, they'll pick the death card and they'll say, it's about change. It's not really about death. It's, it's about change. And it's like, no, just tell me what you see. And that shifts, because I think you have to be able to see, you know, seers, S-E-E-R, are people who see. And so if you, if your head is full of, and you know, it, I've been there too, because so many 78 cards, and we want to memorize all the meanings and yeah. it's a lot of pressure. And you, it took me a very long time years to be comfortable to read for other people. I was so self-conscious and so nervous. And what if I can't think of anything to say, or I don't see anything and you, you need to learn to see. And once you learn to see, you can pretty much I did a reading once with Pokemon cards, because that's all we had. It was a good reading. Um, so once you learn to see, you can do it.
0: In 2012, you gave a workshop using symbols as part of the Symbols and Science Art Show at the Observatory in Brooklyn. Can you yeah. talk about this workshop?
1: Yeah, I love doing that workshop. Um, why did I do that workshop? Well, this too. The short answer is because... The wonderful Pam Grossman, who is one of the, um, the curators of the, um, it was in an art gallery, and she was among the curators of that art gallery in Brooklyn. Um, she asked me to do it, and pretty much I would do anything Pam asked me to do. So uh, that's a short answer, but the long answer is I really like symbols and the power that radiates from symbols. I... You don't really. I mean, my big book, the book that most people know me for, is Encyclopedia of Five Thousand Spells, but and it does have more than five thousand spells. But because of the format of writing, it, it has very specific kinds of spells. Like you yeah. can you can cast spells through painting or through um, crafts like sewing or embroidery. There, you you can, there are a lot you can pretty much cast a spell with anything, but it doesn't lend itself to that kind of a formatted book description. And right. The, the, I like symbols for the power, that radiant power. That I mean, I mean, right now I'm wearing an evil eye. I have an onk on. Um, I haven't. I have worn an onk. Every day since the pandemic started, I recommended it. I recommend it to others, if not an ankh, then an a chai, the Hebrew symbol of a chai. Um, I, you know, these are life affirming symbols and symbols that that radiate protection against poor health and anything that threatens your life. So I I I find that kind of I I personally find that kind of magic very interesting, and that's what we were exploring there. There was an art exhibit that included it was an esoteric art art exhibit that had works of art featuring, you know, magical art featuring symbols, and then we came in and we did we did a workshop that was thematically similar to that. I enjoyed that one. In two
0: thousand and one you wrote earth mother magic a complete course in spell casting that was later published under the title pure magic the big book of practical spells can you talk about this book and how you came to get it published
1: yeah that's my first book and that book has had a journey it's a very complicated publishing history it was actually written originally in 1999 and should have been published in 2000 but the publisher went bankrupt the original one I have an unpublished manuscript on fertility, which does have a lot of symbols in it, that I have been trying to get published since back 1998. And the reason it hasn't been published, and I'm I'm probably gonna try it again now, maybe now it's a little bit less bookstore focused, the reason, Mm. selling books, the reason it hasn't been published it's not the content but because the content is so diverse where does it go in a bookshelf and booksellers particularly the bigger ones tend to be very conservative about these things you know this book has herbs and aromatherapy but it also has magic and it is spirituality and it is goddesses and and where do we put it and, but it is a book about something that people might perceive as health or does it go in women's studies or where and It makes publishers nervous. I think that now with so many more online sellers, maybe it'll be easier. Every time I I try to get this book published, I mean, it gets turned down. But somebody, but it's been very, very fertile for me because somebody offers me something else. And there was, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know how to send a book out to publishers or to agents. And so I just took everything I knew and I threw it together. Ironically, it turned out to be kind of the prototype for 5,000 spells. It's organized very, very similarly. And it had a chapter of magic spells and a publisher turned down the manuscript. He described it as a downer, Um, (sighs) but, but he liked the chapter of magic spells. And he asked me would I expand it into a book and I said, sure, because for me that would, you know, as I said before, I could write, I could write you a website in sewage systems, but a book on spells. I've I have i have been like training for that my whole life. And he told me it was gonna be called, he had a title, it's gonna be called Earth Mother Magic, which I did not like, but I wasn't gonna, but I really wanted to get published, so I wasn't gonna tell him that. Um, and it was gonna look like the Moosewood cookbook. They they had the cover art, which is beautiful before I wrote the manuscript. And I went home, I I bought a copy of the Moosewood cookbook. And I mean, it's actually pretty funny. I sat on the floor with my, this is back in the day when you did not email manuscripts, you had paper manuscripts and it's a big book. So there's a big stack of papers and I put it next to the Moosewood cookbook and I was moving my head back and forth. Like, how did he get from my manuscript to the Moosewood cookbook? Because I was trying to figure out what he, you know, I, I was I was so afraid this was going to just. I really wanted to be published. I've been I had so many rejections. I got a paper to wall with them, and I was just so worried this was going to dissolve. But I also was very uncomfortable with the title, "Earth Mother Magic," because to me that's environmental. And if you're going to be environmental, then let's not be hypocrites. Trees get cut down to make paper, so. And I also didn't think anybody was going to read it. There were already a lot of witchcraft books out there. And I thought, what am I going to do? So I decided I was just going to, I was going to write a very honest book as an authentic urban practitioner. And that's what I did. And it has, it's a book with no agenda. I'm not going to tell you what to believe or what your faith should be, or I'm just going to teach you how to, how to cast spells and how to, how to work with you know, casting spells is really interacting with the universe. So there's, you know, chapters on crystals and on essential, on botanicals, ranging from live plants that you plant in a garden to essential oils and flower essences. How do you communicate with spirits? How do you work with animal spirits? And so I I, I did this and actually um, I had an agent, well, the agent the agent who sent out my original manuscript abandoned me because she didn't want to do witchcraft books. Um, she thought this was going to be a huge, you know, groundbreaking yeah. fertility book, so she just abandoned me. It took forever to get my contract. The original publisher was Element Books, which was in Boston at the time, before yeah. it was purchased by HarperCollins. They went bankrupt. Um, and the editor I had been working with who had been the, the vice president at element um, they started the fair winds imprint and i don't know if it's the same management now but i that that book is one of the three first books published by fair winds and i mean long story short when it was when it went when it went out of print which it did that, the original the original edition, Earth Mother Magic, if you have one, anyone listening, hold on to it. There were only 3,000 copies printed. And um, they are going for a lot of money now. It's like book scalpers. They, they, it is going for a ton of money right now. And um, it was then reprinted by Wiser Books. Originally as pure magic. And there's a very beautiful cover with a flower. And then... Um, when that, they they did a new edition of that called The Big Book of Practical Spells, which is essentially the same book. And last year, um, we published, um, I mean, it's kind of amazing to me because I was really convinced that no one would ever buy that book. And 20 years later, it is a wiser classic. Um, there was a new edition called, uh, uh, they reverted to the Pure Magic title. Matt Oren wrote a, just a you know a a forward that made me cry in a good way but uh it was wonderful and um there's an audiobook that they let me read which you know they very rarely let authors read their own audiobooks so that was that was just an amazing experience to me and uh here we are
0: i didn't know there was an audiobook version i want that that sounds really cool
1: yeah they let me they let me go into a studio and do it that was amazing (sighs) I mean, and you have to know, I I mean, I could barely speak out loud till I was like well over 30. So I was a little, even English is not my first language. And I, I did not, I learned English. Like I went from English, I went from Hungarian to Spanglish to, I mean, I had very, I, I was not speaking standard English until I, you know moved to new jersey and other children let me know i wasn't doing it right so <laughs> it was uh, it was pretty traumatic so um to be to be you know asked to narrate an audiobook with you know and you know the engineers will tell you if you do anything wrong that was that was like incredible it's just one of the highlights of my life i mean it's actually so, uh, we, we right. recorded it last march so it's like a year since it's almost a year since recording
0: oh i gotta get my hands on that one um so you wrote in 2001 earth mother mat earth sorry let me i'll edit this part out the
1: journey the journey that became earth mother magic began in like 1999 i want to say element books went bankrupt in 2000 i was so so lucky so blessed because the book had been edited but not yet printed because the books oh yeah Books that had been printed and were in the warehouse just like got lost. They were never published. So we um, and then I had to decide. I mean, I was really in despair. I, th- I thought it was never going to be published. But then um, Fair Winds wanted it, and Harper Collins, who purchased Element, wanted it, and I ended up going with Fair Winds because that's where the original editor was, and he had taken a chance on me. So I thought, well, everybody told me to go with Harper Collins. So I thought, oh well, he took a chance on me. I should, I should take a chance on him, which turned out to be the wise choice because he ended up at HarperCollins UK, and that's how I wrote Five Thousand Spells. So after the
0: first two books, what changed for you? Um, were you getting offers from publishers to do other works, or what? What did you wanted to do at that time?
1: I, I, I wrote. I mean. It was a very turbulent time in my life. I wrote Earth Mother Magic, which is now Pure Magic in California, but mm-hmm. I had my marriage had ended and I was financially very challenged and at some point and by the time it was published I was living in New Jersey. I'd come back to the East Coast, I mean where my family was. I I, I couldn't I mean I literally had cash in it. I get away money in a safe deposit box. And when I, I knew like when I got down to that money, there was nothing, I mean, we were like pulling nickels out of sofas, so, you know, uh, that, that kind yeah. of no money. Um, so I was in New Jersey, it took a while. And then I wrote two books. I wrote Earth Mother Magic. And then I wrote a little book when I got back also for Fairwinds called Emergency Magic, which is now Magic When You Need It, which has been republished at Wiser. So that's right. available like that, and they didn't, you know, they sold, and I got a little attention. I, I, I got offers not from um, publishers, but from books, booksellers, bookstores. I got on what, what 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 is often called the incense circuit, which I don't know if that exists anymore, post pandemic. But there was, you know, there were all these stores and events and conferences. Where you would go and teach. And that was what opened up for me. And I got to meet other occultists and writers. and you know, Dorothy Morrison, the author of Dorothy Morrison, was so kind to me. I don't even think she remembers, but she was so kind to me when you know because she, when she would get when she was asked to do an event and she was she already had a booking, she would recommend me. How oh, nice. You, you, oh, just, you know, I have very fond memories of that time. Because people, this is before social media. People in the witchcraft community were very supportive of each other. You yeah. know, and I try to be, I try to be supportive of others also. And I think there is a social media in some ways has enabled us to meet more people. And to have more opportunities, but the downside of that is that there's a meanness, and I think in some for some anonymity, y- y- you can say terrible things and lies about other people. And you know, there's no yeah. we're a little community. We should we should be supportive of each other. So then I um, Greg Brandenburg, who had was the one who 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 offered me Earth Mother Magic had gone to work for HarperCollins UK, Harper Element. See, so people, my element encyclopedias, people think that's part of the title. It, it is, but it refers to the publisher. Right. It's, you know, so it's like the Harp, the element encyclopedia of 5,000 spells and the regular encyclopedia of 5,000 spells, they're the same book. Just yeah. the American edition doesn't want to pay tribute to the British publisher, which, you right. know, understandably. So I... He asked me to write 5,000 spells. And and we were idiots. You know, we're not mathematicians. We're, he, because the earlier book, Emergency Magic, Magic When You Need It, has 150 spells. And I, this is another topic, but I, I, I collect spells. Or I did right. more at the time. Now they're so, you know, now you go online and everybody's like screaming free spells at you. It's like, almost too much and you don't really know where they come from but at that time I mean originally it was just through gathering material for my fertility book I would I kept finding all this other interesting stuff and I was just putting it on file cards because it was interesting I didn't know I didn't know that I was ever going to do anything about it but I just said oh this is interesting I'll never find it again I won't remember let me write it down And so he knew I had boxes and boxes and boxes of these. And he started asking me, can you do a thousand spells? Yeah. You know, and I was still trying to sell him my fertility book. So I wasn't really, can you do 5,000 spells? Can you do 10,000 spells? And I'm like, sure, sure. Because spells are like grains of sand on the beach. You know, spells are born every minute. You, you can, you could, I I could, I could write 5,000 more. I'm not, I'm not suggesting I would, but I, theoretically could. Um, So I began writing that, he he hooked me, he seduced me and I I wanted to write that book, so I did. But we miscalculated, you know, uh, how many pages do you need to write 5,000 spells? I don't know, you know, 450, that's a big book. I said, okay, I mean, I have a contract for 450 pages. For those who haven't seen the book, it's over a thousand pages and I Wrote the introduction and it was a hundred pages. And I knew I was in trouble. And yeah. I am a very prompt person. I'm very punctual, obsessively so. And then five thousand spells, I was late. It's the first time in my life, ever late for anything, and I was really late. And I thought they were gonna cancel the project. And I I did not I never saw the whole book until it was published. It's just, you know, weeping as I was writing it was I'm glad I did oppose a harrowing experience. And then at the end, they asked me to write another book. And I thought, oh, no one is going to. I mean, this is before now, folk magic is a big deal. 5,000 right. Spells is mainly folk magic, and it was not popular at that time. I mean, I'd like to think 5,000 do- Spells opened the doors to that. And I just thought, no one is going to read this book that I've been you know, going broke over writing because, yeah. I, It's all I did for nine, 10 months. I did nothing but write that book. And, you know, if they do read it, they're not going to like it. So I better sign a contract fast. I mean, I didn't know. It was very naive. I didn't know they knew about pre-orders. I didn't know. They didn't tell me. You know, publishers often don't tell writers things like this. No. So, I I wrote four encyclopedias in a row. I was just exhausted. Um, so I mean, I don't. I mean, I mean that's the upshot. But um, writing books, I think, especially I mean, the metaphysical community, the witchcraft community, is really wonderful because they value authors in a way that other communities maybe don't. You know, authors kind of become celebrities.
0: Yes, very much uh, so.
1: Very much so, um, whether deserved or not deserved. But I mean, it, yeah. it, it is it is nice to have a community that values literature and writers. So, it it is like a passport writing. It opens doors within that community. Outside, you know, I go to the supermarket, no one cares. Yeah. In two thousand and nine,
0: two thousand and ten. onward to 2011 you published a lot you published in 2009 the encyclopedia of spirits the ultimate guide to magic and fairies genies demons ghosts gods and goddesses in 2010 you published the wiser field guide to the paranormal and in 2010 you published the wiser field guide to witches and then in 2011 you published the encyclopedia of mystics saints and sages the guide to asking for protection wealth happiness and everything else that's, I look at these titles and I'm like, that looks like a lot of work. How did you get through this period?
1: Well, I did two books for Harper element the, for Harper UK, the 5,000 spells encyclopedia of witchcraft. And then they stopped publishing in the U S and I was like, their only US they're only U S author It's a British division of Harper Collins. And yeah, you know, they, you know, so I was, sent over to Harper 1 which is the American Division of HarperCollins that publishes a lot of spiritual material and I wanted to do Encyclopedia of Spirits 5000 spells in witchcraft had been suggested by the pretty much every book up to that had been suggested by the publisher but Encyclopedia of Spirits was originally going to be called the Care and Feeding of Spirits which is what the introduction is called but that was right. my original title I wanted to do that and when I was doing it I wanted to have, I wanted to include saints and angels in there. I wanted you to be able to see the goddess Bridget and Saint Bridget side by side. Right. And there are a number of, you know, I just thought it was so interesting to look at this side by side. But they were very adamant what they wanted because 5,000 spells had been so successful. They wanted 5,000 spirits. I said, well, we can't do that because it'll be a dictionary it won't be an encyclopedia. I need, I need room to write because when I, when I write about spirits, I want, I want you to know them. I want to give a good portrait. I want to give you at least enough for you to start working with them if you want to. And we finally decided on 3000. We were going to do 3000. I did. I wrote 3000. I I have a lot of outtakes. Um, And then (laughs) I I did what they wanted. And it was like a 14,000 page manuscript. (laughs) You know, you would have had to sell it with like a little red wagon to bring it home from the (laughs) book It was, you you couldn't, you know, when 5,000 Spells was first published, the hard carpet cover edition, Amazon wouldn't do free shipping. That book weighed over five pounds. So that's why there's so many different versions of it because they kept trying to get it to, and and they finally did, a size that was contained the same book the pagination is the same, but the cover was light enough to be mailed for free for like prime shipping. So, um, I wanted to. So, so, then we had to cut because they, we couldn't publish a book that size. So, we pretty much kept only the pagan spirits. We cut the angels, we cut the saints, and we published that book. And, you know, my books, these are not new books. My books, what they call backlist, they backlist well. You know, 5,000 spells even now, Encyclopedia of Spirits, even now, if you look on Amazon top whatever, 20, 25 spiritual books, they're magical encyclopedias reference, you know, they're usually up there near the top. And this is a book that has, it's not that new and yet it continues to sell. But this was around the 2008 crash, and what they wanted was a book that would open like a blockbuster movie. They wanted a blockbuster weekend. And my books, are, my books are, they are you get a lot of book for your money, but they're not, you're not a $14 book. Right. So, you know, it wasn't selling fast enough. And so I offered them an encyclopedia of angels. They didn't want it. I offered them saints. They didn't want it. So I didn't know what to do with myself. And then. Wiser asked me if I would do a field guide to witches for them. And that was great because that was like a little mini encyclopedia. I had been struggling with these huge books, Encyclopedia of Spirits also over a thousand pages. I, I had fun writing that. So I, that one I, I could do fairly quickly and I, I, I sent it to them. And then another, they, they had this field guide series Ray Buckland wrote the first book, uh, Field Guide to Ghosts. It's, it's a nice right. little series. I did the last two. Uh, they had another author author who was going to do, I think, a field guide to maybe paganism. But, well, I mean, I, Isaac Bonowitz. And Isaac Bonowitz became very ill and could not complete that book. And they really wanted to have another book in the series. And they asked me, what if, because I wrote this, write these big books, I, I mean, I can write a small book pretty fast could I at the last minute, could I do a field guide to the paranormal? And I said, sure. And, um, because it was coming out so close to the field guide to witches, they asked me to do it under an alias because traditional publishing wisdom is that an author shouldn't have too many books at the same time because it cuts into sales. So I wrote the field guide to the paranormal. And so they came out within months of each other. And that's, I think, it's 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 written under the name Judith Joyce. It's I think my least well-selling book, but it's probably some of my best writing, and I really like it, and I wish people would read it. Um, because 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 the paranormal because I write as an occultist and I write about extraterrestrials and I write about mediums and spiritualism but i i um i'm not distanced from it i i i think that the perspective it's a very integrated perspective and then encyclopedia in the meantime encyclopedia of spirits started selling and harper collins decided well maybe we do want that book on saints (laughs) So, uh, you know, and I wanted to write it by then. I mean, it's sort of unbelievable to me. If you had asked me 20 years ago, 30 years ago, would I be writing an Encyclopedia of Saints, I would have laughed at you. But, um, but I, 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 you know, I work with them a lot now, and I really, I, I appreciate them. And so that was Encyclopedia of Mystic Saints and Sages. And it is called that because, especially in the English language, the word saint has become so exclusively tied to Christianity and especially Catholicism. People think those are the only saints, but the, the, the phenomenon of saints, the, the powerful dead, the powerful and generous dead, it, it's, it's common to many traditions. And there are folk saints who are not associated. Joan of Arc was a French folk saint for 500 years before the Vatican deigned to canonize her. And there are Buddhist saints and Hindu saints and Jewish saints and Sufi saints and Zoroastrian saints. But a lot of people don't like using the word saint because they think you're saying they're Catholic and they're not. So it's mystic saints and sages. And then I was just um, just so exhausted after that. I, and I, my I parents are old. And I, I, I just, I, 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 I don't know that I could have written anymore at that point. Um, and my parents were really, like I, I I stopped writing, looked around, my parents were very old and I took care of my parents until they died. So that was a couple years after that. Now, and, uh, in,
0: go ahead. No, no. In 2016, you published the Wiser Book of the Fantastic and Forgotten, Tales of the Natural, Strange and the Bizarre. You were the editor of this work and anthology. Can you talk about it in a bit?
1: So after my parents died, you know, I looked toward and I didn't know what to do with myself and I could, I was teaching a lot and I was, but for me to teach at that time, now I do a lot of virtual teaching, but at that time that didn't really, that that was very rare. It didn't really exist. Um, You know, so it meant travel and my kids didn't like that and. It was, it was a chaotic way to live, and you never, it's very hard to predict, you know, what your annual income is going to be, um, and I am a working woman, so I, I was offered a position to, it was a long time coming. I, I used to complain, I, I was given books by Wiser and my other publishers to endorse, you know, when a, when a book comes out. Often, um, you will be an, another author will be asked to sort of you know give an opinion, give a good housekeeping stamp of approval. And I would get these books, and not just from Weiser from other publishing houses, and I would see that the editors who knew grammar did not know the content. And so often there were mistakes that they didn't catch because they didn't understand the content, the esoteric content. And I used to because I was friendly because Amber Gutepier, who at that time was the editor at Wiser, and she had been my editor on on Magic when you needed and Pure Magic, I um I would tell her you know you should hire me to edit because I understand this and I these mistakes would not be here and by the time I saw them it was almost like too late to change them and so eventually they did hire me. And oh wow. So So I went to, I'm an editor of Wiser Books. I I went to work for Wiser in 2015. I've edited, uh, you know, upwards of hundred books by now. So um, I, there was a series of occult fiction. I curated two of the books, the one you mentioned, the Wiser Field Guide to the Fantastic and Forgotten, and also the Wiser Book of Occult Detectives. There is a third earlier book in the series that was curated by Lon Milo Ducat. And they are—I love those books because what I was saying before. You know, in my childhood, I I read a lot of old esoteric fiction, Dion Fortune and um, Marie Corelli, and you know, I'm I'm reading uh, um, "The Devil Rides Out" right now, the the Dennis Wheatley book, Um,
0: which is a great book.
1: Oh yeah, I never read it before, so so this is very interesting. I have the opposite. So, so they're short stories, they're occult fiction, but I am presenting them. The Weiser is, is, is a publisher of the esoteric, and I am an occultist because usually you see these stories and they're published someplace and they are presented as literature exclusively. And they're introduced by people who maybe don't understand the esoteric content. So I, I, I chose all the stories, I wrote the introductions. I wrote introductions to the stories, and I love them. And I wish people would go out and buy them because everybody wants to write esoteric fiction, and no one actually wants to purchase it. And I would love to do more. I have a, I have a haunted house book ready to go, um, but you know, no one actually buys these books, so they languish. So um, there they are.
0: Well, I'll be putting uh, links to the these books in the bio. And if you're listening to this and you're interested, please do purchase it. They're, Although I don't think a lot of let lead not a, I don't think anybody will need a lot of urging because I know I'm already looking to purchase these you as know, well.
1: They're 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 fun, but they're also substantial. And some of them some of them have like esoteric substance because especially the stories that were you know, until the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, it was very hard. To get esoteric nonfiction published, it was yeah. illegal in Britain to publish anything that could be seen as extolling or teaching the occult. Right. So what people did is they wrote fiction, they wrote stories, and you could just—and they're good stories—and you don't need to know anything. You can just enjoy them as stories. Um, occult detectives; those are—they're mysteries. But if you do have the eyes to see. There's a lot of esoteric content in them, because that's how pe- they were taught. You have to slip them in. It's like, you know, like my dog. I used to, I used to. He wouldn't take his medicine, so I'd slip it into a piece of salami for him, and then he'd eat it. So it's like the uh, the content. It's so interesting in a lot of them, and great writers: Helena Blavatsky and um, Dion Fortune. Just um, really, really. Is a, I think uh, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle story. The...
0: Judica, what's next for you?
1: Well, my most recent. So, so after Mystic Saints and Sages, I did not write. I've written a lot of forewords. I wrote five forewords last year. Um, I've written a lot of forewords. I've edited a lot of books, and then in 2020, I did another book of original material which is daily magic and that's Mm -hmm. from harper one and that i wanted to tie the four encyclopedias together daily magic is a perpetual calendar it's a calendar of spells and rituals that they all stand all these books stand alone but i think if you have them together they complement each other and that came out oh maybe that you know I don't even know that one it got delayed by the pandemic it was it was going to be published in 2020 maybe it was published in 20 you know the dates like slip by me at this point um I have I would like to publish my fertility book I may send that one out again I have a couple other books in my head I have a tarot book I have another saint book I have I try not to talk about this stuff too much. You know, I didn't tell anybody I was pregnant until you could see it when i was when I had my yeah. children, and i I don't talk about my books in progress until they're in a catalog, and it's like for sure, but I do have now some books in my head that I'm thinking of doing. i I added for wiser i I have there are some great books coming out um. Rachel Pollack's A Walk Through the Forest of Souls, a new edition of that. There is a book by David She called Spirit Voices, The Magic and Mysteries of North Asian Shamanism, The Evil Eye by Antonio Pagliarulo, The Magic in Your Genes by Carol Crow. Those are all coming out in May, June, Stephanie Rosebird, African American Magic. And I've got new books. I'm working on new books from Denise Alvarado and Amy Blackthorne and Sarah Mastros, uh, uh, Scott Cunningham's younger sister, has written oh, wow. a book. Yeah, that'll be out I later know this that. year. Oh, it, it's up for pre-order already. Scott Cunningham, The Path Taken, written by Christine Cunningham Ashworth, and that's a great book too. So nice. I, I, I'm just immersed in books. that that's, that's my life.
0: Judith, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. I would love getting a oh, chance to thank talk. Thank you. It's been that an was honor. a
1: pleasure. Thank you.